right, well, we're there in uh, Genesis chapter number 28. What I want to do tonight is I just want to kind of go through the passage and explain to you what's going on. And then I'll just make three simple statements at the end, just three applications that we can learn from this or take away from this. And we hopefully won't be very long tonight, but you're there, you're there in Genesis 28. Just go back just real quickly to chapter number 27 and look down at verse number 41. Genesis 27 and verse number 41. Rebecca wants to get Jacob out of town because of Esau's threat. You remember Jacob has now stolen the, he supplanted uh, Esau's blessing and stole the blessing that Isaac wanted to give to Esau. And if you look down at verse 41, the Bible says, And Esau hated, uh, hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, and arise, flee thou to Laban, my brother, to Haran, and tarry with him a few days, until thy brother's fury turn away. And uh, notice, notice verse 45, until thy brother's anger turn away from thee, and he forget that which thou hast done to him, then I will send and fetch thee from thence, why should I be deprived also of both of you? In one, of, of you both in one day. So we see that Rebecca was trying to get him out of town. And Rebecca, basically she sets a plan in motion to try to get Isaac to send Jacob away. Look, look down at verse uh, 46. Notice what he says. And Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do to do me? So she goes to her husband and says, hey, you know, Esau has been marrying girls from Canaan, and I don't want Jacob to do that. I want him to go and marry somebody that's not of the daughters of Canaan, not of the daughters of the land. Notice verse 1 in verse, chapter number 28. And Isaac called Jacob. And blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. This is the, the, what Rebekah was complaining about. Look at verse 2. Arise, this is Isaac speaking to Jacob, go to Pananaram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. So Isaac sends Jacob away under the idea of go find a wife that's not from the land of Canaan. But Rebekah basically uh, goes to Isaac and tries to get that going because she's trying to get Jacob out of town uh, because Esau wants to kill him. We talked about this last week, but let's just look at it real quickly. Isaac ends up giving Jacob the blessing of Abraham that he intended to give to Esau. Look, look down at verse number 3. And God Almighty bless thee. This is, again, Isaac speaking to Jacob. And make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people, and give thee the blessings of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. Look, look down... Um, and verse number 5, And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Pranaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. So basically, Jacob is leaving town. He's leaving. He, he's going to uh, Pranaram. He's going to Rebekah's family. Look at uh, verse six, verses 6 through 9. Just basically tell us about Esau marrying the daughters of Ishmael. Let's read it. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pananaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, which is what Esau had already done, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Pananaram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau to Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. So you see here something interesting about Esau is that he, he's doing wrong, but his heart is kind of in the right place in the sense that he hears that, oh, they're sending Jacob away because they don't want him marrying uh, the daughters of Canaan, which he's already been involved with. So then he says, well, let me go find the wife of the daughters of Ishmael because Ishmael would have been uh, related to, to Isaac or would have been uh, within the family. And now it's misguided because he's already married. You know, he's like now he's adding more wives to the thing. But you can see here that he's trying to he, he he's trying to please Isaac and he's trying to please his parents, although not doing it properly. Look 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 at verse number ten. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, 
because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of the place and put them for his pillows and lay down in the place to sleep. So he's leaving town. He's running away. He's uh, going to start somewhere new. And as he's leaving, the Bible tells us that he lighted upon a certain place. And he took the stones of that place. And he made the stones pillows. And he laid down to sleep. Look down at verse number 12. And he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. So he gets to this place, and he falls asleep, and he has this dream where he sees a ladder that reaches up to heaven, and he sees angels coming up and down from this ladder. Now keep your place there in Genesis uh, 28. That's our text for tonight. But go with me just real quickly to uh, the book of John, John chapter number 1. And let me show you something about this uh, ladder. This ladder basically pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice in Genesis 28, 12, it says that the angels of God, uh, it says ascending and descending on it, on the ladder. Go to John chapter number one. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter one. And look down at verse number uh, 51. John 1, 51. John 1, 51. And he saith unto him, well, you know what, just to get a little bit of the context, go. let's start at verse number uh, 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. So he says, I saw you under the fig tree, that's how I know you. And he and Nathaniel's all impressed. He says, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. And Jesus says, That that's all it took to impress you. You're gonna see greater things than these. And then notice what the greater things are. Look at verse 61. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God, notice the word, ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Do you see that? So Jacob has a dream where he sees a ladder that reaches up to heaven, and he sees the angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. And then Jesus would say to Nathaniel that you're going to see, what you're going to see is the heavens open and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of God. You say, well, what is that about or why? What does that illustrate? Go to John chapter number 14. You're there in John 1. Just flip a few pages over to John 14. And do me a favor when you uh, put, a, put a ribbon or something in John uh, bulletin or a bookmark because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. John chapter 14, you say, what does what that uh, illustrate? Here's what it illustrates. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the only way to heaven. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 6, you know this verse, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, the access to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The only way to reach up to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and Jacob had a dream where he saw a ladder and he saw angels ascending and descending. And then Jesus would say that, that the angels would be ascending and descending upon the Son of God, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back, go back to Genesis 28. Make sure you keep your place there in John. We're going to come uh, right back to it here in a minute. Uh, look, look down at verse number 13. John 28, I'm sorry, Genesis 28, and look at verse number 13. Genesis 28 and verse 13, the Bible says this, And behold, the Lord stood above it. So he's, he's, he's having this dream. He sees this ladder. He, angels are ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, now, notice what he says to Jacob. He says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest to thee, will I give it, and to thy seed. Notice he says, I'm the God of Abraham, thy father, and I'm the God of Isaac, but he doesn't say, I'm your God, Isaac. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm your God, Jacob, because at this point, I don't know that Jacob has really made 
God, his God in the sense, I believe Jacob is, is saved, but he hasn't begun to follow him. He hasn't begun to become a disciple. He hasn't really decided. He's kind of just doing his own thing. He's doing whatever he has to do to get by. He's lying. And it's interesting because at the end of the chapter, uh, Jacob makes this vow where he says, in fact, let's look at it. Look, look at cha- uh, verse number 20 of the same chapter. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Notice what he says. Then shall the Lord be my God. So that shows that Jacob did not consider the Lord his God at this point. It was his father's God. It was his grandfather's God. But he didn't really have it. He didn't have that decision where he said, no, you're my God. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you say. And even God acknowledges that when he says, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, and of your father, Isaac. But he never says, I'm your God. And and here's what you need to understand. When it comes to child rearing and raising our children, we need to be very careful that we transfer the faith of our fathers and the faith of of our mothers down to our children. Sometimes it's the grandparents' God, or it's the God of the mom and the God of mom of dad. But it, but the children don't transfer that over. And here uh, Jacob hadn't transferred that over either. And it's going to take some time for him to decide that he wants to follow uh, the Lord. Look at verse number uh, fifteen, Gen- uh, Genesis twenty-eight, verse fifteen. So we see that. Well, well, I'm sorry. Look, look at verse thirteen again. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, "I'm the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac." The land wherein thou liest, uh, thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed uh, shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So that's what we call the Abrahamic covenant. God gave that covenant to Abraham, God gave that covenant to Isaac, and now God, not Isaac, but God is giving this blessings of of Abraham to Jacob. Look at verse 15. Not only does God give Jacob the patriarchal uh, covenant or the covenant of Abraham, but he also gives him a personal promise. Notice what he says, verse 15. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all the places where thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee. Now let's just run a couple of references real quick because I want to give you cross references for this, uh, this passage. Go to the book of Philippians. You're there in In Genesis 28, go to Philippians just real quickly. If you kept your place in John, you're going to want to go past John, past Acts, past 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philippians chapter number 1, and look at verse number 6, all right? Because these these are promises that God gave Jacob. But you know, God is no respecter of persons, and God gave us the exact same promise that he gave Jacob. Because what he says in verse 15, he says, I am with thee, and I will keep thee, and I will bring thee again into this land. And he says, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. He said, I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Well, you know, God gives you and me a similar promise. Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 6. Notice what he says, being confident. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. See, God told Jacob, you may be running from your problems, but you're not going to run from me. I will be working on you, Jacob. I will be dealing with you, Jacob, until I accomplish what I desire to accomplish in you. And listen to me, you and I are the same way. All believers are the same way. I mean, Jonah gets on a boat and tries to run away from God. But God says, you, it, it, God says you're not going to. Here's the thing. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. And it doesn't matter where you go, and it doesn't matter where you try to hide. God will finish the work that he has begun in you, even if he has to kill you and get you to heaven, you know. I mean, even as to get you in your glorified body, God will do the work that he's decided. And that's what he tells Jacob, and that's what he tells you and I. But he also told Jacob that he's not going to leave him. Go to the book of Hebrews. You're there in uh, uh, Philippians. Go past the book of Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 13, and look at verse number 5. All of this is just kind of introduction. I just want to give you an overview of the chapter, and then I'm just going to make three quick 
applications, and we won't be long tonight, all right? Hebrews chapter 13, I just want to give you these cross-references. You ought to write this down in your Bible, and maybe you can study this out later um, next time you're reading through the book of Genesis or something like that. Hebrews chapter 13, look at verse 5. Notice what, Jesus, what the commandment and the promise given to us. The Bible says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. Notice, he gives us the same promise he gave Jacob, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. See, God will not leave you. God will not forsake you. God will not give up on you. God is not done with you. God will continue to work on you until he's performed his work, until it's come to pass. Go back to Genesis 28. Let me give you one more thing. Keep your place there in Hebrews, all right? Keep your finger there in Hebrews because uh, we're going to come back in this area. Genesis 28, look at verse number 16. Genesis 28, look at verse number 16. Not only does Jacob get the promise of God, the blessing of Abraham, he also gets a personal promise where God says, I'm not going to be done with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to bring you back and I, until I've done that which I have spoken uh, to thee of. Look at verse number 16. And Jacob awakened out of, this, out of his sleep, and he said, I'd like you to, if you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'd like you to underline this phrase in your Bible. It's a powerful phrase. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I want you to notice he says, this is the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob arose up early in the morning and took the stones that he had put for his pillows and set it, upon for a, uh, set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was called Luz at the first. The word Bethel means the house of God. So notice he says, he wakes up, says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He says, this must be the house of God. And then I want you to notice, he sets up a pillar, he pours oil on it, and, and, he, and he calls it, he acknowledges it as the house of God. Now, if you kept your place in Hebrews, go, go back to Hebrews, but we're, we're not going to be in Hebrews. We're going to uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you're in Hebrews, just go backwards, past Philemon, past Titus, into 2 and 1 Timothy, and go to 1 Timothy chapter number 3, and look at verse number 15. Because Jacob gets to this place, this certain place, where he has a pillow that he's laying on, a, a, a stone that he's laying on as a pillow, and he has this dream where he sees the angels ascending and descending from heaven, and he wakes up and he says, the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. He says, this is the house of God, and he sets up a pillar. He sets up a pillar. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, notice what he says. Uh, but if I tarry long... That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Notice, the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Notice, the pillar. Do you see that? The pillar and ground of the truth. See, the house of God... At the time of Jacob, the house of God was a certain place where he'd set up this altar, this pillow. But later on, the house of God, and we're not going to run the references. I don't have time to do that tonight. Later on, the house of God is the tabernacle that Moses sets up. That's referred to as the house of God. And then after that, Solomon would build a temple, and that's referred to as the house of God. But today, for New Testament believers, the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. See, we are, and, and it's interesting because he, he uses this term, the pillar and ground of the truth. And when Jacob acknowledges that he was in the house of God, he sets up a pillar. He anoints it with oil, and he acknowledges that this is a place for God. And I want you to notice, look at verse 16. Notice what he says. But if I tarry long, I want you to notice this phrase. He says, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of of God. I want you to notice something. The Bible is very clear about this idea that there are certain ways that we're supposed to act in the house of God. Now, there are certain ways we're supposed to act anywhere we go, but in the house of God, we need to be very careful uh, that we treat each other properly. We need to be very careful that we aren't taking the house of God lightly. We need to be very careful when we come to the house of God, we ought to take this serious. I, I think in the house of God, you ought to stay awake. I think in the house of God, you ought to bring a Bible. Now, look, we have Bibles for you, and we'll provide Bibles for you all day long. But at some point, you got to grow in, the, in your Christianity. We're trying to see our kids this right now. you got to grow in your maturity. Well, you bring your own Bible to church, and you actually open the thing, and you actually turn to the references, and you actually take notes, and you actually pay attention. You know, I think in the house of God, there's always this balance. I think in the house of God, 
we ought to teach our children to open up a hymn book and to sing the, the songs and to sing the praises to God. And, you know, there's this balance because usually what we'll, we'll do is we'll either have the kids not be involved or we'll let them be too involved, you know. Let the kids sing. Make the kids sing. But don't let them make a joke out of it either. You know, they ought to sing properly. They ought to sing like everybody else singing. This isn't a bus ministry, okay? This isn't children's church where we're just yelling at the top of our lungs. No, we ought to do things properly at the house of God. We ought to try to maintain. It's okay to cut up. It's okay to have a good time. It's okay. But we ought to maintain some holiness and seriousness about what we're doing here, which is preaching the Word of God. It's an important task. We ought not take it lightly. We ought not take it just, you know, like whatever, just let's do whatever. Let's just, look, we're very serious about the house of God here. Notice here in the passage, he talks about dealing properly. In fact, you're there in, in, in 1 Timothy 3.15, but if I tell you along, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. But then he tells us, this is how you ought to behave in the house of God. Look down at verse, uh, chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. He says, look, the elder or the pastor, you ought to treat him as a father. You ought to treat him as someone... That you, in the same way you respect your father, you say, well, our pastor is young. You know, Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. And it's not that you're respecting necessarily the person, but you ought to respect the position of the elder and the pastor. And you don't walk up to a pastor and just rebuke him. If you have a problem with him, you entreat him as a father. You know, just like you'd go to your, you know, when you were a kid, you went to your father and you, you said, I, I have an issue, I have a problem, I'd like to try to get this resolved. But you don't just go and, and, and rebuke him. He says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And then he says this, and the younger men as brethren. You know, the younger men ought, uh, ought to treat each other like brothers. You know, that's why we say, brother so-and-so, how you doing? Brother so-and-so, how are things going? And it's fine to have a good time. It's fine to cut up. It's fine, but there ought to be this family type of relationship. Notice in verse 2, the elder women as mothers. We ought to treat the elder women in our church as mothers with respect and, and reverence them. And then notice what he says, and the younger as sisters. He said, treat the younger women as sisters. But then he says this, with all purity. You know what he's saying? He's saying in the house of God, you need to be very careful how you treat the younger women in the church. He said in the house of God, he said, look, you, you're going to treat the older ladies different than you'll treat the younger ladies. There, there, are, there are, you know, uh, older ladies in, in our church. I'm thinking of Joyce, Joyce Nathan, older Indian lady. I, I'm not sure how old she is, but I, uh, she's older than my parents, you know, and she'll walk up to me every now and then on a Sunday, and she'll, and she'll give me a hug, and she'll say, Pastor, good job on that sermon, you know, and, and she's old enough to be my grandmother. That's okay. I'll hug Joyce. I won't hug most of the women in this room. Say, why? Because you, you treat the younger women as sisters with all purity, and we need to be very careful at church to not develop this mentality. Listen, most conversations should be had with, the, with, you know, men should be speaking with men, and women should be speaking with women. I'm not saying it's wrong for a man to, uh, you know, uh, shake another lady's hand or to, to, you know, greet them or anything of that nature, but we ought, there ought not be these long conversations going on between, you know, uh, you know married people or people that aren't married. You know, a, women ought to be talking to women for the most part. And men ought to be talking to men. And when the men talk to the women, hey, guys, when you talk to these ladies, you treat them with all purity. All right? You treat them properly and respectfully. And, it, and you know, it, there's a way that we ought to try. And it frustrates me, you know, because here's the problem I have. I got all these single people. I can't get the single people in this church to talk to each other. You know what I mean? All these single girls don't like the guys and the guys don't like the girls. But then they all want to have these super long conversations with married men and married women. No, that's not appropriate. That's not okay. I'm sorry. This is Verity Baptist Church. If you want to go to real life, if you want to go to the crossroad, if you want to go to adventure where everybody's committing fornication, everybody's committing adultery, I don't want women that aren't married having long conversations with married men. It's not appropriate. I don't want men that are single guys talking to married women having these long, drawn-out conversations over in some corner. It's not appropriate. There's a way we ought to act in the house of God. We ought to treat women with purity. We ought to treat the men with brethren. Let those guys go in there and play chess for 12 hours. Who cares about that? Let them have a good time. But you know what? Treat each other respectfully. Make sure you're not just getting too comfortable and too uh, confident with each other. I don't, I don't want you guys having a long, drawn-out conversation with my wife. You know, you guys have an issue or you got a question, you come talk to me about it. And by the way, you ladies, I don't want to have a super long conversation with you either. 
Women often come up to me, can I meet with you in the office if you don't mind my wife being there? Well, I can't say it in front of your wife. Then you can't say it in front of me. I mean, do you understand? Uh, we, I can, you, uh, here are your options. You and I can meet right here in public for about three minutes, or I can meet with you and your husband, or you can meet with me and my wife. But that's about as far as we're going to go. Because there's a way that we ought to act in the house of God. Go back to Genesis 28. Look at verse number 20. Genesis 28, look at verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow. He makes this vow to God. And I'm not going to deal with the vow tonight because I'm going to talk about that in a coming sermon. But he makes this vow where he says, if God will be with me, and here's all I want to say about it, and will keep me in the way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Do you see how he says, I will surely give the tenth unto thee? You know what that is? I'll give you one word. It's called tithe. That's what the word tenth means. Oh, tithe means. It means tithe. It means the tenth. And here we see Jacob saying, I'm going to, and we'll talk about this later on in the life of Jacob, where he brings the tithe to God. You know, and earlier we saw Abraham who tithed to Melchizedek. And we got these idiots We got these morons on YouTube right now that are trying to get people to come out of church. They want to go into these home church movements. And you know what they're all saying? They're all saying, you don't have to tithe because we're not under the law. Well, newsflash, neither was Jacob. I mean, the law is Moses. The Bible tells us the law came through Moses. We're not under the law, so we're not supposed to tithe. Okay, then why is Jacob tithing? And why is Abraham tithing? I mean, that argument is shot out of the water right there. If your argument on your little YouTube five-minute clip, because you can't get yourself to church, and you think you're so smart because you've listened to 500 sermons online and you read through the Bible one time, and your little argument is, we're not supposed to tithe because we're not under the law. Okay, then why did Jacob tithe? Answer me that. And Why did Abraham tithe? Tithing is not connected to the law. The law gave us more information about tithing, but you will find them tithing before the law. You will find them tithing hundreds of years before Moses, before the law was given. So this is the chapter, Genesis 28. He's running from God. He's running from Esau. He's running from his problems. And we see all of these different things. I want to give you three quick statements, three applications tonight. Look, you're there in Genesis 28. Look, look, look back at verse number 11. Look at verse number 12. Genesis 28 and verse number 11. Notice what it says. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took up the stones of the place and put them for his pillow and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God descending and ascending on it. I want you to notice, this is, you got to understand, the Bible says this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We, there is a spiritual world. There's spiritual wickedness, but there's also spiritual righteousness. We're in a spiritual world where there is spirits, you know, angels and demons and devils fighting. And, and here you have a place. This was a literal place. And there was a lot of work going on. There was a lot of commotion. There was a lot of motion. The angels were ascending and descending from the earth to heaven. And then we're told this, that this place is the house of God. Look at verse 16 again. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Here's what I want you to understand. If you'd like to write this statement, these statements down, write down this statement. Number one, the work of God is always connected to the house of God. The work of God is always connected to the house of God. You want to know where the angels are ascending and descending, where the angels are busy, where there's a spiritual battle being fought? It will always be in the house of God. That's why these people, I I can't stand these home church, you don't need a pastor, you don't need to pay him, you don't need to tithe. Because here's what they do. They attack tithing and they attack the house of God. And it's interesting because in this passage you have both come up, the house of God, and tithing. And then they're like, you don't need a church. Well, listen to me. The work of God is always connected to the house of God. So if you're not at the house of God, you're not connected in the work of God. The work of God is not connected to YouTube. The work of God is not connected to faith. I know right now we we got, you know, people who think they're real spiritual because they put their little post on Facebook. But that's not where the work of God is connected. The work of God is always connected to the house of God. That's what the book of Acts is. 
The book of Acts, God, God didn't give us the titles for the different books of the Bible. We named the book of Acts. I'm talking about human beings gave the name of Acts, you know, the Acts of the Apostles, and that's a fine name. That's a, I don't have a problem with that name. But the book of Acts is not really as much the Acts of the Apostles as it is the Acts of the early church. That first century church, that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about that first century church doing the work of God, going out into the highways and hedges, going out and turning the world upside down. And here's why. Because the work of God is always connected to the house of God. So if you're not connected to the house of God, guess what you're not connected to? The work of God. You all know where there's angels ascending and descending? It's right here. Why? Because the work of God is always connected to the house of God. And this is the house of God. You said, Pastor, do you believe there's angels ascending? I absolutely believe that we're in the midst of a spiritual warfare, and there are devils that are attacking us, and I believe there are angels that are defending us. And you say, is it in this place? I believe it's in this place. And you know what? Next week, it'll be at 320 Harris Avenue. God's going to pick that ladder up and drop it down over there. Why? Because it's not about the building. It's not about the ceiling. It's not about the carpet. It's about the church of God. It's about us joining together, coming together. And when we come together, the work of God is always associated and always connected to the house of God. Go go to the book of Esther real quickly. Esther, chapter number four. Esther, chapter number four. You're there in, uh, uh, if you can find the first and second books, first, second Samuel, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Esther, chapter four. Uh, The the sermon is real short, okay? I'm not going to be... Real long, but I want, you to, I want you to get this, okay? I said, number one, the work of God is always connected to the house of God. But I want, I, want, I want you to understand this. Let me make the second statement. You can write it down. That'd be great. God chooses, but is not obligated to use us. God chooses, but is not obligated to use us. God wants to use you. God wants to use me. But he's not obligated to us. It's illustrated very well in, es- in the book of Esther. Esther chapter number 4. You remember the story. Look, look at verse 13. Esther chapter 4 and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not within thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house, in the king's house more than all the Jews. Remember the Jews were being threatened. They were going to be put to death. And Mordecai is telling Esther, Don't think you're safe because you're in the palace, in the king's house. Notice verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mordecai is telling Esther, it may be that everything, it may be that everything that you've gone through, Esther, it may be the fact that you lost your parents, it may be the fact that you were raised by your uncle, it may be the fact that you were taken out of your home and you were forced to be brought uh, to the king, and the fact that you were forced to be married. It may be that all of this has been orchestrated by God for such a time as this. But then he says this, don't, 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 don't miss what he said. Look, look, look at verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace. He said, it may be that God has been orchestrating your life to use you at this moment, at this time. But if thou altogether holdest thy peace. He says, but if you choose not to do anything, if you choose to be quiet, if you choose to miss out on it at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews. Notice what he says, from another place. See, here's what he says. God wants to use you, Esther, but God is not obligated to use you. God wants to use you, but he's not obligated. He has been orchestrating your life. He has been uh, working on the background. He's the one that's been making sure that you are where you need to be for such a time as this. God wants to use you, but he's not obligated to. And here's what I want to tell you. God wants to use you. And God's been working in your life. And God's been orchestrating your life. And God's been working in the background of your life to bring you to a place for such a time as this. He wants to use you, but he's not obligated to use you. Go back to Genesis 28. Genesis 28. You say, what what does any of this have to do with the chapter? We're going to bring it together right now, okay? He says, here's what we saw. The work of God is always connected to the house of God. Here's what we saw. God wants to use you. God wants to use you, but he's not obligated to use you. He wants to use you, but he's not obligated to use you. Here's the third point, point number three. Write this down. It is possible, it is possible for God to be working all around you and for you to miss it. 
You should write that down. If you're a teenager or a young person, I want all the children. In fact, I want my children, Joshua and Joel and Elizabeth and Lydia and Ruth, okay? Listen up. It is po- there, here's a lesson that every one of us ought to remember. It is possible for God to be working all around you and for you to miss him. Genesis 28, look at verse 16. Notice what he says. Genesis 28, look at verse 16. Notice what he says. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, notice what he says, such a powerful statement, surely the Lord is in this place. And then he says this, and I knew it not. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. See, it's possible for God, it's possible for you to be in a place where the spiritual work is at work, where the angels are ascending and descending, where many things and great things are happening, and for you to be in the midst of that place and be asleep and not acknowledge it and not understand. See, it's possible for God to be working around you and for you to miss it. I want to give you one very, uh, an illustration of this that might, help you understand the point that I'm trying to make. If you can make your way back to the book of John, go to John chapter number 6. And, I, and allow me to just give you a little bit of background in what's going on here. But I want you to notice, you say, Pastor, how is it possible? How is it possible that God could be doing a mighty work around us and us not know? And I want to give you an example of it from the Bible, from the lives of the apostles. John chapter number 6, if you can make your way there. I'm sorry, I said, did I say John? I meant Mark. Mark chapter number 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. And look at verse number 7. Mark chapter 6. Allow me to give you just a little bit of backdrop so you can understand what's going on here. Mark chapter 6, look at verse 7. Mark, oh, good night. I am all confused. I'm in the book of Matthew. Mark chapter 6. Look at verse 7. Notice what he says. And he called unto him the twelve. And began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. So he gets the 12 disciples together, and he sends them out into ministry, two by two. Some of you went out today, two by two, and preaching the gospel. You're doing the same work that God commanded. Look at verse 8. And he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no scrip, no bread, no money in their purse, but, he, but to be shod with sandals, and not put on two coats, and he said unto them, In what place whatsoever ye enter in house, there abide till ye depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when ye depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And when thou and they went out and preached that men should repent. So he sends them out. He says, I want you to preach. Notice verse 13. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil, many that were sick, and healed them. So they're doing a lot of great works. They're anointing with oil. They're casting out devils. They're healing the sick. Skip down to verse number 30, same chapter. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So they get back, and they say, they tell them, man, let me tell you what we did. And then I preached this sermon, and then I cast out this devil. And they're telling Jesus everything that they did. They've been out working, ministering, uh, do, uh, preaching the gospel. And they get back, and they're telling him everything that they had done and what they had taught. Look at verse 31. And he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and, don't miss this, rest a while. Do you see that? He said, you guys are tired. You guys have been working hard. He said, come with me to a desert place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. They, they've been working hard. They haven't taken a break. Jesus says, you need a break. You, you need, let's go into this desert place and let's rest a while because you've had no leisure. Look at verse 35. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, well, you know what, I'm sorry, uh, look at verse 32. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing. And many knew him and ran afoot hither out of all the cities and outwent them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he was come out, saw much people and he was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the days were now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place and now the time is far past. Now I want you to understand what's going on here, okay? 
They just got done on a big mission trip. They went out two by two. They were casting out devils. They were healing the sick. They come back and tell Jesus everything that they've done. Jesus says, hey, you guys did great. Let's go to this desert place and relax for a while. Let's go rest a while. You've had no leisure. But when they get there, the multitudes followed them. The multitudes saw them coming. The multitudes went to where they were going to go rest for a while in vacation. Look verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began, notice, he began to teach them many things. They were supposed to have a day off. They were supposed to have leisure time. They were, I don't know what they were going to do. They were going to grill a little bit. They were going to go to the lake. I'm not sure what they were going to do. They're off in a desert place. They're going to go camping. But the multitude shows up, and Jesus has compassion on them. And guess what they do? They minister to them. They preach to them. Ministry got in the way of their time off. I'm preaching this for Brother uh, Stucky and Brother Oliver, because that's been like the last three weeks for them. You're going to have this afternoon off. Then I call them needy to run to Home Depot, <laughs> you know, needy to do this, needy to do that. Sometimes ministry gets in the way of your time off. And I'm just kidding. Those guys are good. They, they have not complained. At least not to me. But uh, you know, look, look at verse, um, where did I want to go? Look at verse 35. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place. And now, now you got to, you, sometimes we just read this and you got to get into it. This is a desert place. And now, notice what they say. The time is far spent, past. You know what they're saying? Our day off is wasted now. What, what are we going to do? We, we can't relax now. The whole day is gone now, Jesus. We, we're supposed to relax, and we're tired, and, we're, and we want you. Notice verse 36. Send them away. Get them out of here. That we, we want to relax, that they may go into the country roundabout, into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Now, you know the story. What happens next? Jesus performs one of the most popular and wondrous miracles of his ministry. Look at verse 38. He saith unto them, how many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they, and, and when they, knew they say five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among, among all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. One of the most famous miracles in the Bible. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to read the rest, all of the chapter, but I want you to understand. Here's what happens next. He puts him on a ship. He says, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I know you're supposed to have today off, and it didn't work out that way. He puts him on a ship, sends him away. He goes up on a mountain to pray. While they're in the, on the Sea of Galilee, a storm comes. Jesus sees them, walks on the water towards them, and takes care of them and, and, and makes sure that they don't die out there. Look, look down at verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship to go to the other side, Unto Bethsaida, while he sent uh, away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he goes off uh, to, to save them, to rescue them. Look down at verse number uh, 51. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wonder. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention to verse 52. Notice what it says. For they considered not. What's it mean to consider? It means to think about, to be amazed with. For they considered not what? The miracle of the loaves for their heart was hardened. Do you see that? Let me tell you what happened. Jesus promised them a day off. And when they get there, there's work to be done. And Jesus says, hey, guys, sorry, change of plans. We're actually going to preach to 5,000. And then he performs one of his most popular miracles, one of his most famous miracles. But they missed it. They were there, but they missed it. They served the bread, but they considered not. The Bible says they considered not the miracle of those. Why? For their heart were hardened. They were so mad that Jesus did not give them the day off. They were so upset that ministry got involved of their leisure time. They were so upset that they, they well, I was going to relax today. We were going to go fishing. We were going to go, you know, whatever. They were so mad about it that when it happened, when it happened, they missed it. And here's what I want you to understand. It is possible. 
It is possible for God to be working all around you and for you to miss it. One of the greatest miracles. I mean, wouldn't you have liked to have been there? I'd have loved to have been there and seen Jesus take that bread and just breaking it and breaking it and breaking it and breaking it and it never ends. And I'm sure people were looking and saying, how, is, how can this be? How is it that he fed the 5,000? How is it? And you got the disciples saying, well, I didn't get my day off. Why don't you send these people away? And the Bible says, the Bible says, they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Here's what I'm trying to say. Sometimes God can be working in a mighty way all around you, but you miss it. But you miss it. And see, Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it. No. Do you know what I'd hate to have? I'd hate for us to get to heaven and find out that Verity Baptist Church will go down in history as one of the most effective soul-winning churches that was ever around. And for you to say, yeah, I was there. Yeah, I, I could have gone to that soul-winning seminar. Yeah, I could have listened to that DVD. Yeah, I could have been there on Saturday. Yeah, I could have been a silent partner. Yeah, I could have learned the verses, but I just never got involved. And God was working all around you. But you missed it. We just had these several work days. And I want to be careful about how I say this because I, I realize that there are some of you who wish you could have gone to the work days and your schedules did not allow it. And I'm not picking on you if that's the case. And many of you said, Pastor, I wish I could be there, but I've got to work and, and this and that. And I understand that and I get that. But there were some people in our church who could have came to the work days. And I'm not picking on you that you didn't come. The work got done and it was great. All I'm saying is this. There were men that came to our work day and they connected so well. There were men that came to our work. I mean, I, this week, you know, these weeks, uh, I, I worked alongside Brother Jared. I, look, I worked alongside Brother Montel, and we spent time together, and we fellowshiped together, and I got to know them better, and we connected. And I heard so many stories. I mean, I had men coming to me saying, Pastor, we should have a work day, you know, once a month. This is great, just working with other men and fellowshipping and getting to know each other. And here's all I'm trying to say. There are some men in our church that could have benefited from being there, not because the work needed to get done, but because the hand of God was upon it. Because God was working all around us. But they missed it. They just missed it. It's possible that the work of God be going on all around you. And you miss it. Last uh, on Friday, we had, I think we had 60 ladies show up to this ladies' Christmas party, which is great. Praise the Lord for it. And I'll have ladies sometimes come or families will leave and they'll say, well, I just never got connected and I just never developed friendships and nobody ever reached out to me. And I'll, I'll talk to people and sometimes I think to myself, yeah, but you know what? Your, your wife never came to the ladies' Christmas party and she wouldn't go to the ladies' tea and she wouldn't go to any of the baby showers. And it's not that she couldn't make friends, it's that she wouldn't make friends. And, and, you know, you'd always show up, you know, just five minutes after the service started and you'd leave when we were singing the last song. How do you expect people to develop relationships with you? And people say, well, I just never connected with anybody, and I never made friends, and, and none of the ladies were friendly with me. But here's all I'm saying is, did you go to the ladies' Christmas party? Did you go to the ladies' tea? Did you go to the baby showers? Did you try to, a man that had friends but shows himself friendly? Here's all, I'm, here's all I'm trying to say is that sometimes God can be working all around you. And you miss it. And you miss it. Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. I mentioned that I was working with Brother Montel and Brother Jared this week. Brother Jared told me a story. I asked him permission to tell the story. He was telling me how they came to the Red Hot Preaching Conference last year in July. And by the way, we're doing another Red Hot Preaching Conference this year. He told me how they came from North Dakota to the Red Hot Preaching Conference and how he was so glad that they came because the conference literally, this is what he said, his words, you can ask him, literally changed his life. I mean, now they're living in California. Now they're in a soul-winning church. Now they're involved in soul-winning. God is using them. God is using his wife to get many people saved and to get connected and to do great things for God. And he said, the conference literally changed my life. And when he said that to me, I chuckled in my mind because I thought to myself, there were people in our church who call Verity Baptist Church their home, and they call me their pastor, who come on Sunday mornings, and they didn't come to any night of the conference. And someone came from North Dakota and said, it changed my life. And here's the thing. It could have changed theirs. But it didn't. Because it's possible. It's possible for God to be working all around you and for you to miss it. Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. The disciples are going to go back and read the story of Jesus feeding 5,000. And they're going to be like, did you know Jesus did this? 
that's amazing. You know, Peter and James and John, they'd be like, whoa, that's crazy, Jesus. When did this happen? And he said, don't you remember that day? I called you in early. Oh, I don't, I, you know, I remember being mad. I remember having my heart, heart, my heart hardened. I, I don't remember. You, really? You fed 5,000 people? And here's, what, and here's the point. God can be doing a great work. And let me say this. God is doing a great work all around you. But sometimes you and I can miss it. If there's one lesson I want young people, if there's one lesson I want young people to learn, is that you can miss the will of God. God wants to use you, but he's not obligated to use you. And the work of God is always connected to the house of God. And I believe in this house, God is at work. God is doing great things. Many people are being saved, and lives are being restored, and people are getting right with God. And, and God is doing great and wonderful things, and I believe God will continue to do great and wonderful things at Verity Baptist Church. But some of you are missing it. And you're so concerned with, well, I just can't be there on Saturday, and I've got to have my day off. Well, I can't go. I can't show up for soul winning. You know how excited it is, exciting it is to show up and have 55 soul winners here on a Saturday morning? And some of you say, well, I'd like to, but I can't because that's my day off. Okay, John. Well, you don't understand. Okay, Peter, I get it. You need your day off. But God may be doing a great work around you, and you're missing it. And people are missing it every week, every week, every week. Their hearts are hardened. They're concerned with other things. And Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. So what's the application tonight? Here's the application. Don't miss it. Don't sleep through it. I'm glad Jacob woke up and said, this is the house of God. Would to God some of you would wake up tonight and say, wow, a great work is being done here. Let me get in there. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, thank you for these stories. We know they're not made up because man would not write a book like this. And Father, we pray that you would help us like Jacob to wake up to realize that God is at work in a mighty way. But it is possible, it is possible for God to be doing a great work and for us to miss it. Because you want to use us, but you're not obligated to use us. And when we're not connected to the work of God, we're not connected to the house of God, we're not connected to the work of God. And Lord, help us to be mindful of these things. Help us not... Like the disciples one day say, wow, that was an amazing miracle, and I wasn't even paying attention. I was so distracted with other things. Lord, help us to be alert. Help us to not want to miss. Lord, I pray every child and teenager in this room would say, I don't want to miss the work of God. In your precious name I pray. Amen.